All right, welcome in to the Autzen Audibles podcast post-game edition. Haven't said that in a long time. It's good to say it. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, all on this glorious Saturday afternoon here in Eugene. Uh, feels very much like a season opener from a weather standpoint. It was like 85 degrees today, perfectly clear sky, uh, big crowd, and announced 45,000 fans at Oregon Spring Game. Oregon won, by the way. I don't know if you Ooh. guys knew that. Breaking Big news. Win. They, win. They, they also lost. They also, also lost. lost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, green team pulls out the come-from-behind victory, 23-20. to 20. Um, We're going to go into what we learned, what we thought we learned, uh, takeaways from this spring game. Um Overall, uh, I I thought the game was going to be a shootout. I didn't think we got that. Um, score kind of reflects maybe a close game. Um, but like Eric said in our in our notes before we clicked the live button, um, this was a pretty impressive performance defensively. Just when you look at guys who they were matched up against, and you know what group was playing against what group, uh, we walk away pretty impressed with just the overall play of the defense. You guys can go into, de- into more depth of certain areas. I thought the team speed across the board was really good. Defensively, though, really, really good. The closing, you know, the closing speed to get to get to the ball carrier. And the score is a little misleading because with a minute and like five seconds to play, it was 16-14. And then there were a couple of touchdowns. Bo runs one in and then the one to Hudson. We'll get through some of the, uh, you know, kind of the individuals who stood out offensive. But I, I, I thought it was important to start on defense because – one of the things we talked about coming in was, okay, where, where are these guys at? We, we know the offense has talent. They have a lot of it back. We, we mentioned there might be some struggles. Some of these receivers are guys like Bo was throwing to a lot of guys who hadn't had a lot of experience throwing to. Obviously, we can get to some of the Ty Thompson stuff at, at a point later. But like, how does the defense hold up? And I, for a quarter and a half, the offense couldn't score. I mean, for basically the whole first mm-hmm. half, one of the offenses couldn't you know pick up a first down. And obviously, the defense played a role. Some uh, you know stumbling offensively played a role too. But like I. I came away to Matt's point. The team looked faster um, in the box. I thought they played awesome, you know. And again, we can talk about some of the offensive line matchups and mismatches. And there, there are a couple of guys that were key players who are out, so maybe their depth is being tested. And but overall, like I thought, especially in the first half, it was a huge win for the defense with how they performed in terms of just limiting what the offense could do. And you know, it, it Bo even had some kind of up and down moments in terms of drives that were led by him. I'm not putting blame on him, but like he had a hard time finishing drives with the green offense had a hard time finishing drives with touchdowns. There's a reason they settled for, for three field goals. And because of the way we've talked about this defense in the past and, and, and how critical we've been. And I think rightfully so, I just thought it was important to, to just kind of offer some, some credit to them because I don't think there's a question that they were the more impressive unit to start the game. And I think in totality, I still land there. I would talk about the second half where the offense certainly had, way more success just across the board but I was encouraged by this defense and it could have gone one way or the other and I certainly came away thinking like a lot of the new guys and I don't know if Jared has anyone he wants to toss out we can kind of I'll throw it to him in a second here but some of the younger players stood out like Mateo had some plays that were impressive Cole Martin had a, I thought a really impressive scrimmage especially in the first half mm-hmm. and then a lot of the the transfer portal guys that we were excited to see at least had moments where they popped and a lot of that was popping pads like Evan Williams that guy Jared's already saying, and I think he's right, that he's already looking like a, a harder hitter than his brother. Um, you know, Taishim Johnson was was all over the place. I thought Kyrie Jackson wasn't afraid to stick his nose in there with some some pretty capable receivers on the green side with, when he was facing up against uh, Troy Franklin. So I, I, I thought this was a big win for for the defense. And, and considering what we saw last year, I think should have fans pretty encouraged going into the offseason or summer, I should say. Yeah, I'm so I'm looking at the the score sheet here and all the, the tackles, things like that. Both teams were led by a linebacker in total tackles, Jamal Hill and Devin Jackson for green and yellow. How often did that happen last year? Let's just ask that question to begin the, begin the show. Well, I mean, Sewell's tackles were like cut in half last season. Correct. And Jeffrey Bossa, I'm sure was up there every once in a while, but usually the leaders and tacklers for Oregon last season was Bennett Williams or Jamal Hill as a, as a safety. And I think that kind of reflects what this defense looked like today on the field. 
is that to Eric's point, they were very physical. I think the one of the first three plays of the entire scrimmage was Evan Williams coming down and laying the wood on Bucky Irving and stopping him in his tracks. I'll ask another question, you guys. How often did we see last season Bucky Irving getting hit and stopping dead in his tracks? Because that nearly never happened. Um, the physicality, the tone that was set from the defense from the very early beginnings was much different than what this team played defensively last season. And, you know, the stats don't really – the stats definitely don't reflect how disruptive the pass rush was. There's four track tackles for loss. Um, I, I, I think in one series I counted three sacks for the green defensive line, like one from Birch, one from Popo Amavai, and then another sack. Um, they just there, – there were no sacks this entire game, which whatever, it is what it is. But uh, the defensive lines were both disruptive – uh, Eric mentioned Mateo Uyunglele. I thought he had a great game, especially on passing down situations. Um, Devin Jackson, who Dan hasn't really talked a lot about, but did at the very, the very brief times, he said that he plays really fast, he's picking up the game, and he uh, has has shown himself uh, really well in the last couple of weeks. So that's nice. And he was really good today, I thought. He was all over the field. He had a great uh, like tackle from behind on Noah Whittington out on the edge that – I don't necessarily think that play was being made last season with the speed and the depth at linebacker. And so I think that it's it, Eric put it really well in that it's really encouraging to see what the defense did to this offense because, you know, going back to last season and the offense ran amok on the defense and it's all like, wow, look how great Kenny Dillingham was in this spring game. And this is true. He was really great and he was a great offensive coordinator and that offense was great. But I think that was you know, looking back on it, more of a precursor to what this defense is going to look like and their inability to to stay matched up in coverage situations. This year, like Eric said, the offense really struggled for the first half of the game. And I don't think that was any indication on Will Stein's offense. I want to make that clear. Um, there were a lot of drop passes that could have gone for 15 to 20 yards down the field. Um, there were some really good plays. There was just some better defensive plays, and I think that's all right, especially when you're you know coming off the season that Oregon had last year defensively. Dan Lanning earlier this spring came out and said that like the physicality of the team as a whole was much improved compared to this time last season. And we often hear like during fall camp or during spring ball, whether it's an assistant coach, a head coach, and oftentimes players like, oh, I'm having the greatest spring ever, you know, or this <laughs> right. was like one of our best practices we've had in three years or whatnot. And oftentimes, you know, we don't have confirmation of that because we're not in practice the entire time and we can't, you know, we just have to take their word for it. And while I didn't necessarily like doubt Dan Lanning, when he came out and said like our physicality is a lot better this year than it was last year, like we had no confirmation of it. And right. I think today defensively, this was that confirmation mm-hmm. because like you guys have said, like one-on-one tackles. And I think the thing that really impressed me with Jamal Hill is he led his team with four tackles, but they were all solo tackles. I mean, he never once came up and, tried to, you know and, and finished off a tackle and get half the credit or what, what have you um there was that play that really stood out at the very end of the game um or maybe it was the end of the second half the second quarter i can't remember when um ty thompson threw that pass to to the running back and it was a one-on-one and if jabal yeah. missed it it was a touchdown and i think it was bucky to jared's point i think bucky lost a yard uh, uh, after he caught the ball that he gained, a, you know, obviously positive yardage because the ball was thrown downfield, but he didn't go anywhere. Jamal just really mm-hmm. stonewalled him and, and, and just one-on-one tackle. And that's – we saw a lot of that last season where the first guy missed, to, to Jared's point earlier in the, in the show, a lot of times last season the linebackers didn't lead the team in tackles. It was safeties having to cl- come up and finish off a play that just didn't get finished, and that didn't happen today. And then, look – like, I don't want to make it a point like this isn't going to be, you know, the Bears defense of 85 or whatever it is. But, like, it's just one of 15 practices. Maybe the offense had a bad day. But in today's setting, which Dan Lanning said, you know, he wants to know how guys respond in a game-like situation. There is a little extra value in a practice like today. The defense looked really good. 
Jared piqued my interest on the number of times a linebacker led the team. I just looked it up. The answer, do you want to guess or do you want me to tell you? I'm going to guess Three. twice. Jared is right, twice. Jeff Bossa once uh, early on in non, uh, non-conference play against BYU, and then uh, Keith Brown with, a sh- with sharing it with Mace, who I guess is kind of a linebacker in the bowl game. So to Jared's point, like that was not the trend last Didn't year. We talked, yeah, we talked about the, the defense a year ago and, and some of the – inabilities for linebackers to make plays in space. I think Matt did a great job of shouting out Jamal Hill, who was, again, somebody who I think we were all really curious to see how he fit out there. And through one 60-minute game of running clock, certainly held up when I watched. And again, we'll rewatch the game later, and, and maybe there are moments where it wasn't great. But I didn't feel like there was really any of those for for the linebackers. Like I think what really stood out is how many missed tackles were there today? Like just think, you know, and think Didn't about how like a lot. I, I think the yeah. the the glaring one came on Tez Johnson's sixty-three yard touchdown. Right, like, I feel like that was that was an obvious one. But and, yeah, you know, if I can if I can point out one or two of them, that's significantly better than what it was last season because it felt like there were one or two of them on nearly every passing play last year. Especially, I mean, I was just thinking, like, think about how they opened last season with. Well, I can't remember what the total was against Georgia, but it oh, was against like Georgia twenty, it was like seven hundred million. Yeah. yeah, it was all the tackles. <laughs> it's every, and, and, it was every and, tackle attempted. And the fact that today is a day. I know it's spring football; it's the end, so they've had a, a month plus of getting ready for this. But like, you don't expect players to be at the top of their game in April. And I just think the fact that the you can only point to a couple of tackles missed and I don't necessarily blame. I mean, you'd love to bring the player down, but Tez Johnson, Tez Johnson in the open field, we'll get to some in a second. That's not an easy task to try to bring no, no, that guy down. No. He is so quick. So with so much wiggle, I think I'm sure Oregon fans were, he came away pretty darn excited by what he was able to do. But like, that's the point we're trying to make here is like, I just thought collectively the defense played really, really well. And like that first half to me felt like, you know, chef's kiss, kiss for Dan Lanning. That we probably came away with them like that's exactly what I want to see from from this defense again, going against an offense that has a lot of good players on it. So, um, yeah, uh, do we want to run through some individuals I, or, or do we have anything I, real quick? I just want to make a point. Um, was a little just tidbit. Yeah. During the game at the very near to the very end, I got a DM from a former player that was watching from afar that basically was like, "This defense is legit." And you can totally tell they've turned a corner and they're playing the SEC style of football that Dan Lanning mm-hmm. has, has been talking about. And I, I just thought it was notable that a former player reached out and was like, wow, like on his own too, on his own accord. Like, whoa, this team is really good right now. Yeah, and I, I asked Josh Connolly after the game, I'm like, well, you guys struggled to move the ball in the first half. Like, is this what the defense has been like over the course of the spring camp? And he 100% agreed. He's like, yeah, this is just how it's going to be. Um, I think for kind of like a wrapping up that I'll do for the, the defense, I just thought that the physicality was much different. Um, mm-hmm. There were, you know, last season, I don't, there, I'm sure there were big hits, not, nothing that I can obviously remember. But, you know, the tone was set really early, like I said, by that Evan Williams hit. Um, Kyrie, Kyrie Jackson, like laid out Noah Whittington later on in the game. Um, there were just bigger hits. There were, it was faster. It was a physical tone. Again, the defensive line, Jordan Birch, uh, and Mateo Uyunglele were, were constantly in the backfield. Um, I, I pointed out to Eric a lot, a lot during the scrimmage where I'm like, Hey, Eric, watch, watch Jordan Birch over here against Michael Wooten or Feo Pelalu. And it was just quick. It, he's such a, he's so quick off the ball. It's, I don't want to say it's like Kayvon Thibodeau because his first step is unlike anybody's that I've ever seen before, yeah. but it's it's quick off the ball. It's it's in that type of conversation. It's not as fast, but it's 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 near it. And you know, again, it's against Michael Wooten and Feope Lalu, who aren't you know not, aren't even the best tackles on Oregon's roster. But that's what you expect him to do. And again, he didn't. He's not credited for any sacks today, but. He was in the backfield the entire game, and if you guys go watch, go rewatch the game, you'll see that. If you just focus on Jordan Birch and his ability to for a pass rush to happen, um, it's it's going to be there this entire season, and it was today. I want to shout out two more, uh, maybe more than that, but a couple more defensive players, and then we can move on to some of the other stuff. Uh, I know the name was mentioned earlier, but Devin Jackson. Like there are some questions yeah. right now about oh, yeah. depth there, and boy, yes. Jared's guy can move. The, like, I president was, of the Devin Jackson fan club. Very you, happy. You have been since he signed. And, and his speed, 
was the calling card, right? Coming out like how many guys have sub 1100, you know, sorry, sub sub 11, 100 meter times at linebacker. And Devin ran like, I think it was like 10, six or 10, five or something. And you're just going like, oh my goodness. And you saw that translated, right? And, and I think it was fun to see him out there flying around, cleaning up plays. Again, credited with five tackles, tackle for loss, but I think it was around the ball an awful lot. Um, Jeff Bossa, who, uh, you know, people who have listened to this podcast understand, like I haven't always been the most um, complimentary of his play. I think he played pretty darn well today. You know, he had five tackles as well. It seemed like he was around things. Like those yellow team linebackers, I, I thought both of those guys played a lot together. They played well. And then just a guy who is going to fly under the radar, but had a couple of plays that really stood out. And we were definitely talking about up in the press box. And who, by the way, Dan Lanning had some really nice things to say was another one of Jared's guys, Bryce Betcher, who is, as we speak, probably playing, I don't know, maybe playing a little center field for the baseball team. I'm not sure if that game's still going. But uh, the, the game's over, but he did he did come in and, and as a defensive replacement in right field. So which speaks to how impressive it was. He, he recorded, you know, three tackles and a couple of pass breakups. And, and these were memorable tackles out in space on receivers. I mean, he had a sequence, I think, where he made like three straight plays, mm -hmm. um, two tackles on, on screen passes then broke up a pass downfield that that would have put the ball near the end zone if it was caught. So I don't know how much we're going to see from him in the fall. But like that was a guy who while we were watching, I think we we're all kind of like, oh. Those are some those are some pretty nice plays. Um, also, love to shout out a, a South Eugene High School uh, graduate because local kids maybe mm -hmm. don't always get the opportunity, and, and it's great to see a guy like that who stuck around and and made plays. Um, but yeah, those are some guys. I know I mentioned Cole Martin earlier. He was another one that I thought really yeah. popped and made some plays that maybe kind of goes uh, I don't want to say overlooked, but certainly Cole Martin's name hasn't been brought up probably on this podcast a lot since he enrolled. That's a name maybe you need to know going into the fall the way he played today. One, one, one more real quick thing. I don't know how, <laughs> how, how true this is, but uh, on the day Oregon was credited with 16 pass breakups, 11 by the green team, and then five by the yellow team. Mace Funa had three himself, and then Triquist Bridges had two. Um, again, I think that just kind of goes into what the defense was. There weren't there weren't a lot of wide open throws for Ty Thompson or Bo Nix, which I'm yeah. sure will just you know translate right over to that, but. They were they were on they were on the receivers and again this is like I like I went into the spring game like you have to remind yourself that all these guys are on the same team and you know these offenses even though they didn't perform well today like they're they're going to have like Bonex is going to have his the full arsenal not the half arsenal that he had today but I just thought that was an, an interesting stat in the book here at the end of the game it's a good one I believe all of them I mean I felt like a lot of those came. Um, via the green team because probably half of them well, came in the first I'll, half. 11 like, of the 16 were from the green team, so you'd be right. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. We come back. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into the offense side of the football, some takeaways from there as well. All right, welcome back to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. 23-20 um, green over yellow. Green team was quarterbacked by Bo Nix. We also saw Austin Novosad get in there for a couple reps. He threw four attempts um, in that one. Here we go. Before we dive too much into the offense here, um, I don't know about you guys, absolutely flabbergasted that Bo Nix had 40 total pass attempts in this game that is absurd for a returning starting quarterback that's probably a top five quarterback in the country at the position uh nothing really to prove like where you know can you do this can you do that it's right. literally just get the reps in you know stay sharp type of a deal for him i mean this is his job he's not competing for anything he's just maintaining status quo or getting better 40 attempts. That, I'm I'm surprised. He wasn't at the very end of the game. Well, I was going to ask mm -hmm. you, and we should know, like, the, the media scrum afterwards was kind of uh, – it was tough. We had a hard time getting yes. everybody over there. I have no idea what Bo had to say. I think Jared probably feels the same way. Did did uh, did Bo say why he came back in, or, like, was that the plan? Because it, I thought it was, like, kind of competitor Bo. Like, that would have been my theory. Like, competitor Bo kind of entered the picture of, like, I'm not losing the spring he game to Ty Thompson. <laughs> He he said that like the, the plan was all along he would play um, most of the game and then he did admit like some competitiveness did get in there at the end he didn't want to lose but he did come out 
have to re-listen to it because, like you said, it was really hard to hear what was being said. But to my understanding, he he did not come out and uh, pull rank and say, I'm, I'm not losing this game. I'm coming in. Okay. Um, so, but he did say like he did think he was going to play almost the entire game. That's what that's what Dan said too. He's like, this is yeah. that was just part of the plan. Like he was going to play the full which, game, which I like. I I like yeah. the fact that that this you know, Oregon's best players were in this game till the very end. Essentially, now could we have tweaked things a little bit? Yeah, I would have liked to see the. I would like to see what Bo did offensively with um, Chris Hudson and Tez Johnson. And his sure. receiving core combined with Trayshawn Holden and Troy Franklin. Um, I also would have liked to have seen what Ty Thompson could have done with a first team offensive line. Um, could have helped you know, more protection. That would have that would have helped. But overall, um, 288 yards for the green team over 66 plays. The yellow team had 319 over 51. No turnovers. I think that's probably mm-hmm. Will Stein's probably big. Big happy, you know, moment of, of truth there. He's really happy about that. No turnovers. They had one fumble. It was a punch out as Chris Hudson was running towards the sideline, went, went out of bounds. Um, so Oregon did not lose that. Uh, so only one time did the ball touch the ground or go to another opponent. Um, red zone scores. This was an issue last year at times. Um, they went as a team collectively. They went five for six, and the only time they didn't score was at the end of the second quarter. When Ty Thompson had four looks inside, I think like the five or six, and couldn't get it in. Um, third down conversions, yellow was really bad, but that was because of the first half. And like like Eric said, getting the show three of thirteen for yellow. Green was a little bit better, six of fifteen. Um, I don't think, guys, there's anything to take away from the rushing numbers that we saw in this game. Um, Bucky ran for just fifteen yards on two carries. Um, Jordan James ran for 14 yards on five carries. He did have a touchdown. Uh, Dante Dadell led all players with 32 rushing yards on seven carries. Noah Whittington had 31 on 10. They didn't run the ball really all that much. Um, it was always like second down run, I think. There may have been like two or three series all, all game where they, they opened the first down with a running play. Uh, felt like they were throwing all the time. Well, was, and then was, the offensive was, lines were just mismatched. I was just going to say, wasn't that because Marcus Mariota was calling the plays and he went, all he wanted to do was pass? I know that. I think that was. Yes. Oh yeah. For, for, I think that <laughs> might have been obviously a little ingest from from landing, but you're, you're right. though. like the number of rush to pass attempts in this game pretty stark here. What there were uh, 35 combined rushes and mental math is hard. 82 total passes. So that sort of speaks to the, the, the yeah the disparity yeah. there. Um, I want to talk about the quarterbacks because that's always going to be, I think, like a focal point for anyone watching a spring game. And I don't know how much Austin Novus had. We want to talk about uh, he threw eight passes, completed two of them for nine yards. Like, true freshman out there for the first time. Not surprised he didn't perform fantastic. Also not surprised he threw and played by far the least of the group because, let's be real, everybody knows Bo Nix is a starter, and I hope everybody's understanding that Ty Thompson is clearly the backup. Um, and I think based upon performance today, all of that feels perfectly fine. I think that's the right order. I don't think anyone should come away from this thinking, oh, my gosh. Uh, the Ty Thompson start was was really bad. It was not good. Um, we'll get into some of that. I was really encouraged by the bounce back. I mean, first four yellow team drives were all three and outs. He didn't complete a pass, I don't think, on – I can't remember if he only – I think he completed one pass at the end of that on, the, on, the, on that kind of pop pass to Tez Johnson, which was his first completion. I think that was on – the fourth three three and out. Um, he started one for eight. Yeah, started one for eight, but that means he finished like, what, 15 for, for 24, 15 for 26? Yeah, 15 for 26. He threw for 274 yards and two touchdowns. Um, if you go back and – I should say, I'll have to go back and watch it, but my feeling while it was happening was there were some accuracy issues, but there was also a, a, some timing issues with just how much pressure he was getting. Um, I know Jordan Birch didn't, wasn't credited with any stats on the game, but – he was cooking people off the side there, and there was not always a lot of time to throw. Popo Amavai made his life difficult with some internal pressure. Mace Funa was back there a little bit. Um, Jared might have other names of guys who are winning reps there if he wants to chime in. But, like, in general, I was just like, I thought that played a role for him early. And then when the protection got better and you got maybe more into, you know, some two-minute stuff or was spread out a little bit more, I think you saw some of 
some of Ty's better play since he's been here. Um, I mean, I think probably the second half is, is some of the better throws we've seen from him. Um, certainly the long pass to, to Chris Hudson, where <laughs> Chris Hudson gets into the end zone at the very, very end of the game. But of course, he has the long pass where he can't quite score because that's everything that ha- that's just the story of Chris Hudson since uh, the 2022 season started. Um, but I, I, I thought Ty, and I, I know this is probably going to be for some people, um, you know, there'll be disagreement, there'll be a polarizing opinion. I, I, I came away being like, if Ty can bottle what he showed in the second half and carry that confidence into the, you know, into the summer and into the fall, like there, there's some things to be encouraged by. And I, I think it is notable just that he bounced back because gosh, it was a brutal start, missed his first six passes. As Matt said, started one for eight, the offense had nothing going, but you know, it wasn't always all his fault, obviously. And the way he kind of finished some things and, and gosh, the skill receivers helped him out with run after catch. We talk about that Tez Johnson, which, you know, long, long pass attempt, which was probably the highlight of the day for a lot of people. But I, I thought Ty kind of settled in and, and and showed why he is such a highly regarded young player. Yeah, 100%. He, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, that old adage. Uh, and it certainly was that case today with Ty. Yeah, he, he really struggled to start off. I think a lot of that had to do with the pressure that that, that green team defensive line was giving to him. Um, like like Eric said, he got into a real good rhythm in that two-minute offense, and that's because they had to go quick because it was a two-minute offense. Um, and from there, that's kind of what Will Stein did the rest of the time Ty was there or was in the game. Um, when Oregon's green team went to their second-team defensive line comprised of all freshmen, uh, Gardner, Bowens, Tuioti, and one more person whose name I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Eric, can you help me out? Ben Roberts, I believe. Sure, why not? Ben he Roberts. Was, he, was in the middle, he was in the middle there at one point. I know. Oh yeah, 52, 52. Um, but yeah, when they went to that second team defensive line, Ty suddenly, uh, unsurprisingly, had a lot more time to throw the ball around, and then that's when he hit Chris Hudson. That's when he, uh, you know, unloaded passes that went from 15 to 18 yards through the air. Uh, that's the time where he hit Tez Johnson for his 63-yard touchdown pass, which was like a 15-yard completion that Johnson just took off and ran. Um, I thought he looked good. This is this is what we have been hoping to see from Ty. Obviously, it was the worst start, and that was you know, it, it's just very good that he came back and, and stepped up from that. Um, again, he's got a great arm. He's he just needs more reps. It's clear, like like Eric was saying, some of the accuracy concerns in the beginning were there. Maybe that's just kind of some nerves, some jitters, whatever the case may be. Um, touch on balls are still not great in the intermediate yeah. routes. Uh, it's much different than what Nick's presents. But again, his deep ball was really good today. He had a really good throw to Kyler Casper that was well defended by two guys. Uh, he had a great throw to Chris Hudson down the left sideline that Hudson hauled in but was out of bounds. But it was a perfect drop right in the basket throw. Um, Hudson just stepped out. Uh, just by you know a couple inches, which you know it, it it happens, and then finally you know the big the big throw to Hudson over the middle was was perfect. It was right on line. It was perfect for Hudson. He just got tripped up right before the end zone, like Eric mentioned, which again typical. <laughs> uh, again, no no disrespect to Chris Hudson. That's just kind of how his luck has been the last two seasons. But again, great ball from Hudson, or excuse me, great ball from Thompson. Um, to to switch gears for for Bo because he only went nineteen for forty. Uh, Jared, I, Jared, can I? I, yeah. I, know, I know I'm interrupting. Can I one just interject thing. Yeah, one tie thing, which is this kind of tongue in cheek is last year's struggles. Is it because he needs a full half of playing before he gets going? You know what I mean? Like, because the issues last year, he only got like a series per game. And yeah. really, what Ty needs is like five series to get a, a rhythm. <laughs> it might be. I mean, he might be a rhythm quarterback, but yeah. I think that's exactly why every time Ty stepped on in the field, his first throw is just an easy one or an attempt to be an easy one, try to get him in some type of rhythm. Same thing happened today, but Mace Fudo almost picked it off. Um, to go back to Bo and his 19 for 40, uh, you know, he had a few overshots. It wasn't Bo's greatest day at the office. Uh, he did a, he did really well in the second half, I would say. We had some really good throws up the middle. Uh, I think Oregon's defense was pretty soft across the middle and, and zone coverage on third downs. And I think Bo and Will Stein kind of just picked that apart towards the end of the game. Uh, I will say I thought that his struggles in the beginning were largely due to the yellow team's defense. I thought they had great coverage on his guys. Um, and then a lot of it also was were the drops. Kenyon Sadiq dropped, I don't know, probably a 30-yard pass. Jaden Lamar probably dropped a touchdown pass on a wheel route out of there where two Oregon defenders collided on almost like a pick a pick play in the NBA. Uh, it was very well thought out play play designed by Will Stein. 
but it just didn't work out. Uh, Treshawn Holden dropped another one. Troy Franklin probably dropped a third down pass, even though it was pretty good coverage from Kyrie Jackson. Like those are just four plays that would have been, you know, uh, twenty three. Justice Lowe dropped an or dropped or I don't know. Dante Manning kind of poked that one out. I don't know how they would rule that, but the, he the, should have caught it in the end zone one as yep. well. Was the one I was referencing. Yeah, that's no, that's call. that's the one that Manning popped yeah. loose. But I still feel like he should have caught that. So that would have been another touchdown. That would have been another 40 yards. You add up all of those, that stat line would have looked much better than it was today. Um, and I think that's you know kind of the reason why Oregon is still looking to go into the portal and get another wide receiver. But you know, overall, I thought it was I thought it was a good day for for Bo. Um, I'm happy that he was in there the entire game. Uh, again, it's another moment where you're like, well, Bo's going to have a starting offensive line around him when the season starts and all the weapons. So no zero cause for concern at that point. I think the spring game just kind of gives us more confirmation of because Jared brought up the drops and whether it's Justin Lowe as a redshirt freshman who hardly played last season um, or it's a new guy like Kenyon Sadiq who had multiple drops today. Like You can't go into a season thinking two or three of your top eight receivers are going to be true freshmen unless these are like five-star bonafide dudes and only one freshman on the team next year is going to have that kind of characterization. It's Jerry on Dickey and he wasn't here for spring football. So to Jared's point, like, yeah, that, th- I think we kind of saw why they're going into the portal, why they're looking at receiver, why they're looking at Gary Bryant specifically. Um, I can't remember his name, but UTSA's star receiver entered the portal like today or yesterday and uh, the it's his last name's franklin i don't want to butcher the first yeah. is it zachariah something something very close to that That sounds right yep. yep but i mean video game like numbers everyone in the country will be looking at him i guarantee you oregon will be looking at him as well and it's why they're they're doing this because drops killed the offense on both sides green and yellow multiple times the stats could have been better and i think that was Maybe one of the takeaways I took from the offense was the scheme is fine. There's nothing wrong with yeah, yeah. the scheme of what of what they're running, what they look like. Um, it was literally just lack of execution and really good play on the other side of the football. Um, and I think some of that naturally will just get fixed because Bo won't be throwing to Justice Low very often, I would imagine. Uh, during the 2023 football season, unless no offense to Justice Lowe, he takes a huge jump in his development between now and next year. Um, you know, it's Trayshawn Holden, it's Troy Franklin, it's Chris Hudson, and it's Tez Johnson. We also should note, like, Terrence Ferguson wasn't out there in this game, mm-hmm. and he was one of Bo's favorite targets, as is Winnington and um, uh, Bucky, and, you know, Jaden Lamar had a couple of drops, had a couple of plays that should have been caught and just didn't. And that's not to say that these guys aren't going to be good. It's just, it's so hard. I think people just really can't grasp how hard it is to, to show up for a top 10 team as a true freshman and play right away and make the plays necessary for that top 10 team to continue being in that hunt. Jaden Lamar could play. Dante Dedell could, they, they could play as true freshmen, but I, it won't be at Oregon in huge roles because they're just not ready yet. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. No, no, I don't, I, no argument for me at all. I thought to speak to those running backs, one of my predictions was that they would both find the end zone uh, went over for two. Uh, I think collectively our predictions didn't go fantastic. No. Jared got halfway on his offense prediction because of I Tez did. Johnson. And maybe we should, that should be, it could be a natural transition in a second, but I, I just wanted to say, I thought Dante, Dante Dowdell probably had, two of the better runs by running backs on the day in terms of showing some power and, and, and hitting the hole. Um, that's somebody who I was really excited to watch run. And, and again, small sample size, seven carries, 32 yards. Um, but he did have the longest run from scrimmage of any of the players. And, and I thought he at least kind of showed some of what you see on film and some of it translated. What doesn't necessarily translate is him just running over people because to our point earlier, like Oregon's players were a lot tougher than they were a year ago in terms of just sticking their nose in there and finishing plays. And, and I thought that even kind of popped a little bit when, when some of the younger guys were trying to trying to make some things happen. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Tez and Chris and Treshawn and Troy, the receivers that 
you know, absolutely. We do I, mean, I, was, well. nah. I, I think nah. I think Tez. We're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about Tez, but I just wanted to point out that I was also really impressed with Trishon, just the physical <laughs> specimen that he is. He could bring a lot to the table. I just wanted to make sure I said that before we jump into Tez because Tez is. We could we could talk a lot here about Tez. I thought it was interesting with Trayshawn, by the way, that he was like working out of the slot primarily mm-hmm. with Justice Low flexed out uh, beside him. I just hadn't necessarily perceived that would be his role, considering he played so much. I think it was. I, I wonder if because I asked that question about Tez and Chris together with Dan, mm-hmm. and he talked about how in spring ball to a follow up question that was asked about that how like the teams were split in weird ways and they were trying out guys in different positions to see kind of how, how it worked. I wonder if that was what that was. Like they knew maybe what Trayshawn Holden could do on the outside. Let's put him in the slot. So what he could do. And, and I thought it worked. It looked okay to me. I like get whatever that was worked. Yeah, natural. And, you know, the, the, you know, there were a couple of, I don't know if there are a couple, but he definitely had a one drop. I remember he also had another one where he was contacted on a third down play. It was pretty good coverage, but ball hit his hands, ended up on the turf. So you can decide if that's a drop or not. We don't, we aren't tracking those here officially, but yeah, to your point, big physical guy made a lot of catch, catches in traffic and you can kind of already tell Bo, you know, trusts him at least to put the ball in some tough spots. And in fact, there, the play I mentioned earlier where he didn't bring it in, it was because he was in traffic and Bo could have had, I think, Kenyon Sadiq in the flat for what would have been a first down yeah. completion. And I thought it was notable that he either looked off Kenyon or didn't see him and chose to kind of throw it into it, made it more difficult throw to maybe a guy he's more um, trusting in, in, in Treshawn, um, who, again, didn't complete the play, but had a lot of plays today that he did complete. So, um, but to Tez, like I, that 63 yard touchdown which, by the way, kind of got the game going offensively to a certain degree. I know Troy mm-hmm. Franklin scored in the first half, but that was really the first big, long, explosive play of the day that counted. There were a couple that, you know, for whether it was Justice that didn't finish the play in the end zone or if it was the pass that Jared mentioned earlier to Hudson on the sideline where initially called the completion, but on further review, his foot was clearly out of bounds. Um, that brought the house down, and I think for good reason because I'm trying to think of, like, who he reminds me of that Oregon has had recently. And, you know, like there, there isn't really somebody who has that kind of blend of speed. And we saw a little bit at the end of the run, some of the balance and ability to kind of, you know, stay up through traffic. Like I, I just thought that was one of the more impressive runs we've seen, especially from a, what you would call a slot receiver or a smaller bodied receiver after catch in a while. And the speed is something we have heard a lot about. It was fun to see mm-hmm. it translate and, or see it on the field. And my point was it certainly translates because he was running away from a lot of very fast defensive players for Oregon. And, uh, to, you know, I'm curious to see kind of how they choose to utilize him because I think he's somebody and they tried to get him in the ball in space with that pop pass at one point. I think he's going to be a, a, a really valuable asset in terms of throwing the ball around the line of scrimmage. But I think you also see that he's somebody, and, and we saw this at Troy, who – his route tree isn't going to be super limited to just, you know, five and, and 10 yard routes. I mean, they ran him deep several times, obviously had, wasn't a super long route, but you know, whatever that was 10 to 12, 15 yards through the air on the long touchdown. Like I, I just, am, I guess, curious to see kind of what the totality of this will look like because the small sample size, I guess the condensed package we saw today, you have to be really thrilled for what this is. And, and for people who were maybe, I don't think there were too many people out there that were doubting the move or the addition or wondering why Oregon went that way. I hope any of those concerns were, were kind of dashed because you can see why he's so dynamic. Um, and somebody that clearly is going to be a big part of this this year. And we should also note, we didn't get to see live returns in terms of actually, although Cole Martin has seemed to think we were with one of those yeah. in the second half, but Tez was the guy who was back there along with Cole Martin. So, that's a role that clearly he's he's positioning himself to, to to at least be involved with it this fall. Yeah, I got I got two things on the receivers. The the Treshawn Holden slot receiver thing, I that was more about who the personnel was on that green team, uh, in my opinion. Uh Justice Lowe is not a slot receiver. I know that Dan likes to talk about positional versatility and all that good stuff. I don't think that Justice Lowe is playing any slot in practice at all. Um, but, te- but excuse me, Treshawn Holden is a guy who has over 100 snaps at Alabama in the slot. Um, that was you know, He had 316 total snaps at Alabama last season, 84 of them were in the slot. That's a guy who can play slot. I'd rather see him out in the Z receiver. But, again, this goes to the point where all these people on the field 
are all on the same team. And when Bo Nix runs out there with the first group offense, I, I would you know pretty much hope that it's that's Trayshawn Holden at Z and Tez Johnson at the slot. Because then those two guys are just going to play what their natural positions are. And Trayshawn Holden is a natural Z. You saw that in those catches or those potential catches, like Eric said. That's a contested between mm-hmm. two guys that Bo Nix throw, throws to him because he's a big-bodied kid out there. Um, and to go with Tez, just kind of following up on Eric's last point, yeah, this is why they brought him in. And I think it's just as simple as that. Uh, you look at that type of production value that that Tez Johnson had on that long run, the speed, the agility, the ability to just stop at full speed and let Cole Martin go right by him and then walk into the end zone a la like Lamar Jackson and that old high school tape. Um, that's what he does. And that's exactly why they brought them in. This was not nepotism. This was not um, we just need to get another guy on here. This was we're bringing in a playmaker. We're bringing in a guy who's a real dude. We're going to bring in competition for the slot receiver slot because we feel like we can get uh, better production out of that. And you look at what Kenny Dillingham did last year with Chris Hudson's route route or uh, routes route tree, excuse me, route route, LOL. Um, Chris Hudson went deep plenty of times. And now just think of Tez Johnson and that speed because he's a much faster player than Chris Hudson. Again, no disrespect to the man, but he's just significantly faster. And you look at that, uh, you look at a couple passes as last year where Chris Hudson goes deep and then is, it gets it or catches it and is tackled or tripped up, whatever the case may be. Tez Johnson is catching it and is five yards behind or past any defender that's on him. So I thought it's really good to see these guys perform well. Um, again, I'm, I'm excited to see what this first-team offense looks like when everybody's on the same side of the field. What do we think player comp-wise? Hmm. Tez Johnson is a faster Charles Nelson. I kind of like that. Uh, he's obviously – He's bigger too. He's taller. He's taller. He's leaner because uh, – but no, I don't hate that at all. Um because be they've used him in the run game, we've seen it. We've we've seen it yeah. before, like five sweeps. That's what they did with Charles Nelson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's that's not a bad one. I, I was just trying to think. I didn't want to necessarily compare him to DeAnthony because DeAnthony had no, so much. That's unfair. And we no, saw no. so little of that on the Tez today. Um, but you know, you just think back. Like I love Jalen Red as a player, but he doesn't have. I don't think. Not that he wouldn't have been able to score on that play necessarily. He doesn't have quite that same. I think top gear as to what no. Tez has and. You know, Jalen was really productive here for a while. Like you think last year, Chris Hudson, I think there's a reason like they brought in some competitions. Also a reason that he had five catches for 143 yards playing primarily on the outside. Um, I think, you know, we, we, we haven't done a given a, a, you know, a, talked a lot about him from this game, but that was one of my questions was how does, how do these two work together? Well, Tez was great working out of the slot and Chris did kind of held his own without question. I thought working, um, at either X or Z, probably Z. Um, I have to go back and kind of watch where he's lining up. But no, I, I I think in general, my takeaway from the game from a receiver perspective is you have four guys that you know on the roster right now are competitors later or sorry, contributors later. And the question is, what's after that, right? Because there wasn't really a fifth guy today that was like, ooh, he made a bunch of big plays. Like it was good to see Justice Lowe get a couple of screens. Kyler Casper had a a really nice long pass from Thompson. I think it was at the end of the first half to try to set up what would have been a, a touchdown. But in general, like there wasn't a fifth guy. And I understand there's not, you know, there's only one ball to go around. It's hard to get everybody involved, but it would have been maybe nice to see an explosive play from, from one of the younger guys. And there's also guys who weren't able to play because of injury. We've got Dickie coming in later. There's a possibility of adding Bryant and Franklin, uh, like we mentioned before. So certainly not to be overly concerned, but you, I think you leave Springfield like, gosh, you've got four top tier guys or really, really high end receivers. Where does the rest of the depth come from? Because you are going to need at some point in the fall. We, you see it every year. You need five or six guys who can contribute. We saw mm-hmm. last year Dante Thornton stepped in and, and really played some great snaps while Chase was out. Something like that could happen again. And I think that's the only concern I have with the, the receiving core. Not the only one, but it's the biggest one just because the top-tier stuff is – I think the talent's there, but you just kind of wonder what where you're at from a depth perspective, I guess. All right. 100%. I think – we should get into the most important part of the show. I think I know. Special teams. Mm-hmm. Punts. Oh, I thought you we were going to talk bucket hats. Oh. oh. No, I actually wasn't on the lookout for bucket hats. You, yeah, we didn't uh, get a I count. I didn't see many of them. Yeah. Didn't get a count now, which is unfortunate. We'll have to ask Dan whenever we talk to him next. Oh, um, I asked Dan about bucket hats. He was very quick to – Oh, yeah, to, after uh, practice. He was very, very quick to say they would be guaranteed one person not wearing a bucket hat. 
It was uh, it was Dan, unsurprisingly. Not a big hack guy, as we've talked about on this podcast. But I was surprised when I told him not a big hack guy. He, he's like, really? He's not. I, I don't think I've ever seen him wear a hat. I have, I have not seen I him said. wear a hat. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe you should start wearing them, Dan. Um, punting. Luke Dune, as we now have learned, yeah. we've been pronouncing wrong for weeks on end now. So that's good. So Can just, we really... You know, Guaranteed that's the pronunciation, though. Well, I asked Nate Kruger, our Oregon's SID for the football team, and uh, he he confirmed it's Dune. So okay, yeah, it like wasn't just Don. That confirmation it. overrides the uh, yes. public confirmation. Yes, 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 yes. Um, like the book, Luke Dune, Ross James, both had very good days at the office. I, I will agree. tell you what. Um, very happy to see it. Nine total, or excuse me, ten total punts. Uh, my mental math here is not going to be good, but you know, a lot of yards. Uh, 40, Ross about James, about forty-two. Yeah, Ross James averaged forty-one point eight yards. Luke Dune averaged forty-two point eight yards. Uh, the long of the day was to James at sixty-two. I just thought it was good. I thought both of them had a really good day. Um, I think that again, what if you guys have read our practice reports, you've seen me list that uh, Luke Dune's punts go higher and carry a lot longer for the the kicking or kickoff team to get down there and then surround whoever's returning it. And I thought you saw that today. Um, Ross James's lone boomer of a punt was 62 yards. Like I just said, but it was a line drive. It was right to Tess Johnson. And it's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. You love that a 62 yard punt, but the issue with that is that the kick coverage team can't get there down in time. Mm-hmm. And there were no returns except for the very last one with Cole Martin, you know, whatever that, whatever that meant. <laughs> But Tez Johnson returned that Ross James one and had a lot of room. And obviously that he didn't go out and return it. But if he did, that's a lot of room for a dangerous dangerous guy out there on the perimeter. So Dune's punts were were great. Uh, I think he only had one bad one. I think it went about like 37 or 38 yards. Yeah. Um, and if, if that's his bad punt, I'll take it. Because last season when there was a bad punt, it was a bad punt. And this is basically what we've been seeing in practice. This is I think that this is a real competition. Um, right now, I, w- I would still give it to Dune, even though that they both had a really good day, just because the his hang time is significantly better than Ross James's, and yeah. I think that's going to account for something. But ultimately, I think it'll all come down to who is more consistent in their accuracy as well. But I think both of those guys had a great day today, even if they got some unlucky bounces, which they did. Yeah, I wanted to mention that because I thought James and Dune both had at least one or two punts where the ball bounced and, and ended up bouncing backwards as opposed to bouncing the other way and that's where if the ball rotated just a little bit more maybe it bounces five yeah. yards the other direction we're talking about a net of like a 10 yard difference or something um yeah total agreement thought both guys were good i thought in general special teams and i know we weren't doing you know live returns or or whatnot i guess cole martin doesn't know about that but it, it, in general like the ball reached the end zone on every kickoff besides i think one which is pretty good. Yeah, one uh, one was out of bounds. That was from Grant Meters. That was that was the one I wanted to note. Like that was the probably the biggest special teams error of the day, and, he, and it wasn't particularly close. Like he it was clearly off the wrong part of his foot or something because the ball was not close yeah. to being where it wanted to go. And that's the big thing that Dan's talked about, right? Kick accuracy. So that was probably one I'm sure is gonna gonna bug him when he goes back and looks at film. I'm sure Grant will probably not be pleased with it either. Um, but kickoff stuff was good. Uh, you mentioned the punt stuff. Camden Lewis, three for three um, with field goals. And, you know, all of them within clearly within his range. What was it? 31, 36, 44. Those are kicks you expect him to make. There was an opportunity at one point for him to maybe come out there for like about a 50-yarder. Kind of would have been interested to see how that went. But understand Dan not wanting to do that <laughs> on this day. Um, but, yeah, special teams is something, and, and to Jared's point, like earlier about kind of, you know, the value of talking about it. This is a huge problem. Not that long ago. I mean, it doesn't take, you don't have to go far back to remember what happened in Corvallis. Um, didn't see any of those issues today. Again, they cut out some of it because there's no live returns. We couldn't really get a feel for the coverage. I do think on on James's long punt, to, to the point Jared made, we kind of agreed in the press, co- press box that if there were live returns, Ted's would have had space to, to maybe take that thing. I'm not going to say to the house, but certainly would have been yeah. 10, 15, 20 yards upfield probably. Um, but I'm not going to really complain too much from it because I thought in total the punts were, were pretty darn good. And, uh, and and another thing, new long snappers, there weren't a lot of issues there. I think I did jinx, jinx Luke Basso with one of them, which was a little bit low, but didn't end up mattering. Hey, I don't think the special teams had a bad day at the office at all, which is, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. 
six total penalties too, and about forty six total yards. So, I mean, Dan Lanning talked about pre, you know, fourth spring game, like clean football game. They didn't want to make turnovers. They didn't want to put the ball on the ground. They didn't want to make a lot of false start penalties or pre snap penalties. I think there were a couple, two or three false starts. I think there were three um, by the green team. Yeah, there were one or two holding calls defensively or, or pass interference call. But I, I think relatively you got good performance in, in its entirety by the by the defense. The offense statistically was really good in the second half. I think you could argue it would have been good the entire way if we went one versus ones, two versus twos. Yeah. And then special teams, like Jared said, was really good. And then penalties were very non-existent. It was a good showing overall. I just have one more thing, and I don't know if there's much else to talk about. Uh, center to quarterback exchange wasn't a problem. Not that I was like nope. super concerned, but hey, this was really Jackson's first time snapping in an environment like this. I think Charlie Pickard was handling a lot of the snaps for the yellow squad. weren't any issues there, um, at least with the where the ball was, you know, snapped. So would would have to go back and watch to really get a feel for how Jackson performed in general but like the the really obvious the glaring part is gosh the center can't get the ball to the quarterback weren't any issues there something that was kind of in our minds just because the the one time we did watch fastball um i think like two or three out of the five jpj snaps were not perfect and and caused the quarterback to either have to reach down or or try to adjust to it so good to see him kind of lock in there i know that's something that um when we spoke to Alik Terry earlier in spring that they were really working on. So, hey, you know, the, the first game without Alex Forsyth in, what, three or four years as the center, no concern, no no big issues. Like, that's probably a small thing, but I think something needs to at least be acknowledged at the end of this. Um, we'll have a lot more next week discussing the portal players that have departed the program. We haven't addressed those here on the show um in a couple days there's been a flurry of them there probably will be more that happened between today and Mm -hmm. tomorrow um may 30th is the deadline or april 30th is the deadline may 1st is when it closes and more importantly maybe uh we'll talk more on monday about areas we think they need to be going after uh in the portal because dan did say that they will they've got open scholarships to use they've already done it once with a tight end commitment um, out of Ole Miss. So Portal Talk will be on Monday's show. Um, and then next week we'll be rolling out some more content as well on DuckTerritory.com. How I encourage you guys to go there. But until the next podcast, you've been listening to a special post-game edition of the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.